Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today we are going to be breaking down the Thunder's Summer League roster and I've been talking about the Thunder Summer League for like the last three days now and it's almost going to be like a week-long event. I believe action starts tomorrow and it should run through the 17th or 18th of the month. So we're going to be covering Summer League for the next week. You know, we could be talking about how Trey Mann has a crazy ceiling. Josh Giddy could be the next Magic Johnson, right? But first, we need to tackle the Summer League because it's going to give us really good insight, not just on the first round players, but also those second rounders and potential guys we might see around on the OKC Blue roster. So we finally got the confirmation I've been trying to do some like detective work in the last, I guess, 72 hours. I broke the Rob Edwards story. He is on the roster. There were a lot of names being floated around based off of Trey Mann's Instagram. And I said, you know, it was a safety net for me. I said, these guys are not confirmed. And some of the people reported to be there might have been there, but they are not on the Summer League roster. So I'm going to be going down the line of who you're going to see on the team, a breakdown of what that roster might look like, and also how the coaching staff actually might play a factor into what you might see on the floor with this team. So I'm just going to go top to bottom from what was released to the media. I think there's 12 or 13 guys on the roster, but it starts out with Charlie Brown Jr. And with Charlie, we saw him for like 10 games. It might have been more, might have been less, but he was around for all like three weeks with the Thunder. Prior to that, he was with the Iowa Wolves in the G League bubble. He was actually really impressive against the Blue in his singular game, you know, against them. I think at the time, Iowa was winless. They almost got a win there. They might have picked it up late, but Charlie Brown Jr. was one of their top three guys, no doubt about it. I've talked about him enough. I think everybody sort of has the gauge for what his play style is like. He's a six foot six, three and D wing. He was the Melvin Frazier backup until Aaron Wiggins joined in on the picture. Like he is meant to be out there to provide defense. He's very good in passing lanes. He's a great pickpocket. Loves to apply a pre- a lot of pressure to ball handlers. And then on the opposite side. You sit him in the corner, and that's about it. You don't see a lot of movement with him as a shot creator or attacking the basket, really. You just want to give it to him, and, you know, he might be able to sidestep. If he has a clear shot to the lane, he can absorb some contact. But he kind of has two sound parts of his game, and that's really what has lifted him up to this point to where... He's technically speaking on the Thunder's roster. It was a two-year deal when he signed, final day of the regular season last year. But this season is non-guaranteed, so he might not get paid at all. He's going to have a lot to prove, and as I keep continuing, a lot of people will have some statements needing to be made for them to either stick around on the Thunder or make a splash overseas somewhere. And that starts with Oscar Da Silva, and his journey actually has already put him in a pretty good situation. So he graduated from Stanford this season. He put up great numbers, 18.5 points and 6.7 rebounds, but his name was not heard. Almost instantly, he got a deal to play overseas. So he is going to be playing in the German basketball Bundesliga, 
And that's actually a pretty good league when you look at the spectrum of what you're going to find outside of the NBA. You have the Liga ACB and the Euro League. That's about right where NBA is at. They're kind of on that level. That is the European or just overseas version of the NBA. And then you go into other leagues such as, you know, the NBL. And then you look at the German Basketball Bundesliga. And they have produced players before. I think Dennis Schroeder might have been there in his stint before, you know, he did venture to the Atlanta Hawks. I know outside of him, though, even if it wasn't, uh, part of his career plans. People have been through this league, and he's only 22 years old, so he does have, you know, he's not overly old. I guess I could put it that way. And I think he does have potential because the numbers he was placing at Stanford with damn near 19 points a game and nine rebounds, that's a solid collection there. And on top of it all, he was shooting 31% from distance. He is a six foot nine, though some will say six foot ten, power forward or center. And we are going to need those types of players as I run down the list. So Oscar De Silva, really good pickup. I'm going to delve into him a bit more in a second. But next, I got to talk about Rob Edwards. And this is a shocker. He's not wearing number two. I believe that was his jersey number with the blue last season. He's wearing 25. Stole it from Chason Randall, if I believe so. So he's going to be playing... I love him to death. He was my favorite guy on the blue last season. Even though Moses Brown and Omer Yurtseven were cheat codes, this guy, he dimmed it down. Like, he wasn't dropping 25 points in 10 minutes every game like the others were. You know, he worked for it with, like, some crazy three-point shots and pull-ups. So that's the kind of style that I love to watch on that team because it was just so different from what you saw, the inside-out game. He separated from the pack and... That was big for me. So 44% sharpshooter from distance last season, and he's going to be putting up a lot of points. Six foot five shooting guard out of ASU. Him and Lou Dort do have ties. Not that that would matter in terms of contracts or anything, but yeah, he was really productive and he's going to be around some familiar faces, including some of the coaches from the blue. And I think if they put him in a similar situation as they let him in in Orlando, he will be a double-digit scorer, and a lot of people on Twitter are going to be raving about this guy. And I'm here to say I called it first. Keep your name on Rob Edwards, because once he goes off, it's really hard to put a lid on his game. But next, we're going after a guy that everybody knows. There's no need for this G League or guys going overseas. Josh Giddy is on the team, and we know the story with him. Sixth pick... We saw Jonathan Kuminga was doing pretty good in the California Classic. Even other guys in the lottery looked nice. People wanted James Booknight. They wanted Kuminga, and Josh Giddy was the curveball. People have come to accept him, and based off of his TikTok account, I love the man. I think he's very funny, but we're going to have to see how his skills project because in the NBL last year, he was posting close to like a triple double, like 11 points, seven and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists. He was all over the place and it was enough to notch him some accolades. First guy out of the next stars program, I believe through the NBA and then also the NBL has one. That's how the mellow ball got selected last season so highly, but I'm interested to see how he works under the current constraints of things because He's 6'7 on this list. 
people like to believe he's 6'9 now, and that's almost a confirmation. If that's the case, is he going to play small forward? Because this is an ultra small ball lineup as I continue here. I don't know. And he has a plethora of skills. The main focal point is his passing ability. That's where you're going to see him. I think in the half court, you're going to have him taking it past the timeline, him setting up the troops. But we might see positionless basketball where he's not guarding the speedy 6'2 guard. He's going up toe to toe with like a six foot nine small forward power forward duo and that's actually probably going to be good for him we want to test his limits and honestly we could try to test him as a shooter as well because he shot below 30 percent with the adelaide 36ers last season we want to see that jumper go down because once we know for a fact he's an off-ball threat that's when you look to seriously pair him with sga because if he cannot shoot a high volume and a high percentage from distance there's gonna be kind of some tension between himself and sga even though i think you know as a passer he is on a very high level and he is only 18 years old so he's in contention to run away with this thing and just be the darling coming out of here but we do need to look at potentially what his game could be. And another guy we still need to look at is Josh Hall. He'll be playing. This was a person who I didn't truthfully know was going to be back. I didn't see him in Trey Mann's Instagram story. There was a qualifying offer thrown to him, but we don't know if he's on a two-way deal, a full contract, just very up in the air currently. But I'm very happy to see he will be suiting back up. He's going to be wearing number 15 again. And the way he performed in the final regular season game should give you a lot of hype uh, surrounding him. You should be excited to see him. I don't know if he's going to be a starter, a six man, something, but he will be getting minutes. The 25 points and 10 rebounds against the Clippers came off of just dominance inside. And I'll tell you this, when you're dropping 25 points on Daniel Aturu, and Patrick Patterson, I don't know how that projects when you face off against like Rudy Gobert and whoever you want to call it, but you still got to give the man props. He was doing some mid-air acrobatics to make, to make shots go in, and we never saw it before with him, and even from three, I think he only shot one of six, but in the back end of the season, we started to see a lot more of his production, and for an undrafted guy last year, he was one of the better people available in that pool. So I'm very happy we gave him like a 1.5 million qualifying offer. I'm stoked to see how he would operate specifically with a guy like Giddy. I want to see Hall as a shooter, but he's also a point forward and Giddy does need the ball as well. Uh, another guy who doesn't necessarily need the ball, but he's going to be productive anyways, is Jalen Horde. Two-way guy, originally a really sought after Exhibit 10 deal for the blue worked his way up the ranks playing behind Alexei Pokashevsky once he was moved back up to the thunder he made some statements really good finisher probably the best front court finisher on the blue at least driving in post-up game Omer Yurt 7 and Moses Brown had his number by quite a big margin but he's a slasher and he's very good at using his body to collect fouls once he gets to the line he can be chalky but he always has a really good entrance when it comes to selling things. And on the defensive end, really good interior guy. We got to see about a 20-game stint from him last year, dropping six points, three and a half rebounds or so. So we know he has a lot of skill. 
we don't have a lot of proof that he can shoot the three ball though and that's what's gonna kind of hinder him from an NBA contract at least for the Thunder I believe maybe others would still take a risk because he's like a five star killed it at Wake Forest has killed it to this point in the G League circuit but he has to be able to shoot and he can't like he was shooting 25% the G League on a decent clip once he moved over to the Thunder there were times where he's airballing and stuff like this there just wasn't many times where I thought he was killing it I think his best three-point game was shooting two of three or something against like the Salt Lake Stars or whatever their G League team is you know what I'm saying so he has a long way to go as a shooter everywhere else though I really think he's deserving of a two-way contract or just an NBA scale contract. Give him like $1.7 million to fill out a roster. And the guy preceding him on this list was on an NBA roster last year. That is Jalen the Q. And he was on the Thunder roster for six days. Got him in the Chris Paul package. I infamously said that I thought he was the best piece to come out of that from the Thunder side because Ty Drome was like 22 or 23 already and he didn't have a huge resume from before. I was infatuated by the dunk. This guy can fly up in the air. He's called Baby Westbrook for a reason. He's a six foot four guard who can explode. But outside of that, he's extremely raw and he, w- he got traded to the Pacers. Moved for TJ Leaf in a 2027 20, second with the Pacers. Wasn't all that. Uh, he only played four games. I know I talked about his stat line. A lot of these guys' stat lines in last podcast. So that might be where you go in terms of like the straight up statistics on everybody I discussed. But yeah, he just didn't really work there. He got waived. With the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, though, he was productive, scoring, especially attacking the basket. Needs to work on the three-point shot, though, so this is a sort of high upside guy. I mean, yes, he's getting up there in age. He is now 21 years old, so he's not this, like, bright-faced 18, 19-year-old coming out of the draft anymore, but he's still a worthy pickup, I would say, especially when the Thunder probably wanted him last year when they dealt out Chris Paul. I don't think it was just a random filler by any means. Next guy, probably going to be the star of the team, at least to begin, Teo Maladone. And he led the team, the Thunder, that is, in minutes played last year, scored over 10 points a game. He's very crafty when it comes to passing. And that's why him and Josh Giddy would be electric together. I don't know how long they'd run, but his ability to throw midair, do some cross courts, no looks was ridiculous. But on top of it, he is going to be the best piece, I'd say, on the roster to play around Josh Giddy. Teo Maladone is a catch and shoot guy. He shoots mid 30s off the catch. And in the beginning of the 2020 season, he was shooting like 40%. He was shooting above George Hill and he shot 45% in his however many games. So Teo, if he's open, he's going to convert for you. I think this is the match you want to make. This is the dynamic duo that you would form around because Giddy, we don't know if he plays off the ball, but in a half court, he'll be patrolling. People might sag off on Teo, and that's when he's going to strike. Even when he gets the ball in a half court or he gets it off that catch, he can drive in, his floater looks beautiful, and he can 
lodge in passes on the pick and roll. So I'm really happy to see that he's playing. I'd say who would be more NBA ready right now between him and Poku? Maladone is above him in that category. Poku's not on the roster, so that's a bit of a shocker. But I could see it maybe trying to get a little bit of those kinks out of the way before next year. Might have a pretty solid role with the roster. And so will Trey Mann, 18th pick in the class. He was worthy of that selection, and he plays pretty similar to SGA. I said it when he got drafted. I'll say it again, but yeah, that's who he reminds me of. But you have to take it with a grain of salt because there's a long way to go between those two. Reason I say it is just the archetype, the style he plays at. He's a six foot five guard who is very good at penetrating. He's not overly fast, not overly athletic, but he'll slash in. He has a beautiful floater that he can run to, or he can kick it inside. Really good vision when it comes to the dribble drives. And also, when he's strolling up the court, he has a great step back jumper in his bag. Doesn't give you crazy separation, but it does get the job done. And it was a main reason why he shot above 40% from distance last year. So he might lead the team in scoring, and it would make sense. He is bound to be a scorer, and even if he's not putting up 10 a game, you better know he's shooting a lot, because that is probably going to be his job when it comes down to it in Las Vegas. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, too, he is going to be playing, and he's going to have a significant cut of the minutes. Six foot nine power forward center. Really didn't play center much with Villanova, but when push comes to shove, someone has to take those minutes there, and he's 6'9. So welcome to the five spot, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Really good at everything. This is another good gel guy next to Man, Giddy, Teo, just everyone I've mentioned before. So I'm really happy we got him at 32. Now, if he would have been there at 34 and we get like JT Thor or something, I'd be going out of my mind for it. But, you know, they clearly liked him. Sam Presti knows his stuff on these trade-ups, so I'm not to take his advice for it. I think he's going to be a steady contributor. Will he go off for like 25, 30 points? Probably not. But for your double-digit contributor, the fringe double-double guy, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is someone that you would keep tabs on because he is a very productive player. And so is the other second-round pick in Aaron Wiggins. Got him at pick 55, 3 and D wing, who should be able to contribute. I don't know about the numbers being significant for him, but I will say this combine setting has been where... Aaron Wiggins has made his name. In the G League Combine, he was one of the top four competitors. And in the legitimate NBA Combine, he went up the roster or the draft boards enough to actually getting selected by the Thunder. And now he's on a two-way contract. So I don't know how often his name will be called because of the depth this team has at the two and three. But I still think he will give you solid 15 to 20 minutes. However long he's playing, he's not going to be a negative asset for you. And Emmett Williams is another guy on the team. He is a power forward, might even slide up to the center, but he's six foot six. So I don't know about the center thing, but 
you look at him at power forward, played for the Agua Caliente Clippers last year, four points, four rebounds. I talked about all of this almost verbatim in yesterday's episode. That's just kind of how things went. But I just look at him as an interior guy, might have a bit of a mid-range, but I'm not going to lie. I really did not look much into Emmett Williams, so I'm not going to be making all these takes on him. I'd say he's kind of a sturdy backup that you would take a shot at, and I don't think you'd go after a player averaging 4-4 four and four in the G League unless you thought highly of him. So clearly, the Thunder don't just see him as a guy who can get a couple rebounds and score around the basket. There's got to be some special factor that really drew them in. And the last guy on the list, Ryan Woolridge, drew them in by how he performed late in the season. And I talked about it yesterday, which is, you know, why I was a little confused if he would be on the team. Turns out he is. He signed a deal with Arachlis BC over in Greece. So, yeah, I, I guess he's playing this and immediately heading overseas to play. He's a really good point guard, though. And due to depth, he kind of was in the shadows with the Oklahoma City Blue. Chase on Randall was above him. You had Xavier Simpson taking a hefty portion of the minutes up. Rob Edwards, Ty Jerome, just to list a few. But he didn't get a lot of time until the very end of things, and he turned up when it mattered. He's not a three-point guy, but he can run an offense. He's very smart when it comes to on defense, I'd say specifically. Offensively, solid passer. I like the way he runs inside to the basket, though. And in transition, he'll kick it up an extra notch to just blow past his players. And in a half court, he's surprisingly pretty bouncy for his size, and he may not look the part, but there was one particular posterizer dunk that he had last season. Completely blew my mind. I mean, he had no real semblance of being a posterizer type of player, but he just elevated with really no momentum and just yammed it on somebody. And in transition, like I said, that's kind of more the moneymaker where he's just going to you know, out-sprint you, but in the half court, he's a good slasher, so I'm very happy to see him back. When you look at who's returning from the OKC Blue roster from last season, you're looking at Ryan Woolridge and Rob Edwards as your main two, but also Jalen Horde made the appearance, and so did Josh Hall, but I'm going to put an asterisk on Josh Hall. He really didn't play, uh, so <laughs> there's that. I don't know if two minutes counts for much, but he was in Orlando, so there might be some some bond between those four guys. So it'll be cool to see maybe how that will work out for them. And I'm also very uh, intrigued by, like I said, the rookies and how they might shape up on this team. But once you go down, you know, I rattled through however many names it was. It was 13 there's two people that stuck out not being on there. Alexei Pokashevsky, he's been one we've known about, but Vid Krejci is not going to be playing. And this was a concern of mine that I've talked about, and I don't think it has anything to do with like a trade. I feel like that'd be pretty just out of nowhere. You buy out of his contract. He's not a 26-year-old like Gabrielle Deck. He's 21 years old. You better be keeping him. And he's a 6'8 guard. But I'm assuming his torn ACL rehab has been stunted a little bit to where he's not at that 100%. And 
I think I gave a comparison to Kemba Walker a couple days ago saying, you know, if he's not at 100%, if he re-injures himself, the value's gone. I might have even called it with Crenchy as well. But you just don't want to be risking major injuries when you're not fully healed. And I think this would have been the best platform for Vit Crenchy to show off his skills because he's an excellent finisher around the basket, really good ball handler. And I think being picked 37th was almost a disservice to his play. He was extremely good with Zaragoza in the following seasons, but I think the injury bug is still just surrounding him. So he'll take a bit of a sabbatical. I'm assuming he'll be on a two-way or just a straight-up deal with the Thunder. I think preseason is the new target date for him, but don't look at this and immediately think he's not going to be around the OKC Thunder anymore. I think that'd just be kind of foolish. It was very disappointing to hear the news on him, though. When you check out how this 13-man roster aligns, it's kind of insane. And I tried making a depth chart. It took me like 15 minutes, and I was pulling some hair out doing this because... This is an ultra small ball team. Six foot nine is the tallest player you're going to find on a roster. On the Blues roster last year, there were three seven footers Poku, Yurt Seven, and Moses Brown. They are not going to be around for this thing, so you got to go fully small ball. And because of it, the front court is kind of depleted a little bit. And I'll mention it now because I'm going to go back to it after I'm done just breaking down the depth chart. But the head coach of this team is Grant Gibbs, and he was the head coach of the OKC Blue last season. The way the OKC Blue played is not going to work in Vegas just because the players are completely different and they don't have the height that they once could just toy around with back in February and March. But when you break this roster down, there's a lot of movement that can happen. So I'm going to start with the starting unit, second string, whatever. But you got to keep in mind, there's so many like 6'5", 6'6", 6'8", point forward types where we can't really safely predict what this team will look like. And just based on how summer league play works, the minutes should be around the same for everybody. So Take it with a grain of salt, but I think this is how the starting lineup will look in the first game. I think Teo Maladone's going to start at the point guard spot. Just makes sense. Only real, like, crazy guy returning. You know, we don't have Poku. We don't have Roby, for example. So, I think he's your leader. You don't play him off the bench. That'd be a little bit weird. So, Teo's playing point. Josh Giddy is at the shooting guard spot, and he can kind of play wherever so he might just take the role of the point. As I discussed, I think there'd be a duo budding between those two in like the 10 or 15 minutes they'd play with each other. But at the three, Josh Hall is going to be your guy. And he's taken that over some pretty steep competition at the small forward spot, but he's going to get there. I think the way he played at the end of the year warrants it. And his ability as a point forward makes the lineup even more intriguing and that's the way we're going we're going for the fun units and that has josh hall playing here at power forward you have the other two-way guy in jalen horde and he's not as flashy in terms of passing dunking whatnot but he's a great glue guy that's what he was 
for the Oklahoma City Blue. And I think that's how Grant Gibbs really evaluates him because he was utilized that way. That's not going to change. I think all the returning Blue players are not going to be handled differently because it worked to a T with a lot of them. I'd say specifically Jalen Horde got a lot of benefits under what Grant Gibbs did, even though he could have played at the starting four and he would have been great. There is no Alexei Pokasevsky to take this away from him. I say he starts at power forward and he's going to be slashing inside, looking for the backdoor cuts. Josh Giddy and Teo Maladone will be rifling those into him. And at the five spot, you have Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He's only six foot nine, but you got to make do with what you have. I don't see him being a backup. <laughs> That'd just be very weird. And I think if they wanted to trade up for him, there you go. Like that is the perfect opportunity to give him minutes and prove why you traded two very high second round picks for just a two spot increase. So he's a really good rebounder. As a shooter, he's looked nice on and off the ball. Not perfect, though. Like, he would have been a first-rounder had he been. But he has tools everywhere that you need it. So he's another glue piece, just like Jalen Horde. I think he might go off a bit more, though, when you want to focal, you know, centralize your attacks on him, I guess I should say. But moving on into the second unit, this is where you get the fallout and... There's a shocker, of course, Trey Mann being the backup point guard. You would think if he's your first round pick, he'd be starting. And I contemplated Teo Mann and Josh Giddy being in the starting group. I don't think it matters. I think you're going to see that run regardless sometime in these uh, next five games. We'll see from them. But I'd say right now he'd probably be what Teo actually was in the regular season last year. And that was being the leader off that second unit. And I think he'd be a very good one just because of how he plays and how much he wants to be shooting the basketball. So I'd put Trey Mann in that category as that lucrative six man who is going to get a lot of reps and a lot of shots up. And Rob Edwards is much of the same. This is a shooter. He's going to shoot it a lot. He was that microwave for the OKC Blue last season. I hope that continues and a little bit of bias here for why I'd place him in the second unit because there is competition everywhere one through three but I'd imagine if you wanted to retain him from last year you got to have some belief in him and he's 24 so I don't think he's going for a thunder spot but he should be one of the commanding leaders on the blue and I think Grant Gibbs would want to use him on a higher stage than where he was at in Orlando so I'd put him in the second unit. Him and Trey Mann are very high usage guys who are going to get some points up for you. So just like Gideon Maladone would be a duo, I think Trey Mann and Rob Edwards would actually work out very well together. And at the three, Aaron Wiggins, that's your glue guy, six foot seven. He's going to be the three and D that will kind of balance things out between Mann and Edwards if there's any sort of defensive lapses. At the four, you have Emmett Williams, which this is just one where he's 6'8", or 6'6", my goodness, but he's pretty big in size, so you'd want to play him there. He'd just be like an interior player who might not get the most minutes, but you give him a shot anyways. And Oscar De Silva will be your backup big man, and I think he'd actually get a lot more minutes than you might expect. He was one of the 
you know, more uh, nice guys, I would say, remaining past the 60 names called on draft night. He's a good scorer. He's just like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, where you think there's potential with him as a shooter, as a passer. So he might even sneak into some lineups with all the other draft picks that the Thunder might have. But you get through those 10. The third string is sticky. You have Jalen LeCue, who they must like for wanting him after just trading him. Ryan Woolridge, who I love, but I will say, I think when you check out the guys ahead of him, he might not be above them in the pecking order. And then Charlie Brown Jr., which I don't know why I'd put him at third string, honestly, because he was with the Thunder. He got signed to a deal. So he might be a better starting candidate than Josh Hall would be. But I feel like the play is weird. Like he's already 24. Josh Hall's 20, might even be 21 now. And Aaron Wiggins is 22. Wiggins does the same thing as Charlie Brown Jr., I would say, and Josh Hall. He has a lot of potential. I'd say Charlie Brown Jr. might have a big spotlight on him, though, just for the sake of survival. He needs to make a new contract, and he's going to do that by producing in the summer league. So that's how I see it from 1 through 13 on this roster. Now, when you want to break down how all these guys are going to get utilized under Coach Gibbs' system... I don't know, and I think I brushed up on it earlier, but the way the Oklahoma City Blue operated last year is nothing like what you're going to see in the Summer League, and that's going to be a real change for Gibbs and everybody on this coaching staff, because with Moses Brown and Omer Yurt 7 on the same roster, you just had to throw it right inside, and you would get two points every time, whether it was off a post shot, you know, five offensive rebounds, a crazy dunk, they could do it all, and you just don't have those kinds of players on this team anymore. There's no bully ball available, so there's going to be a lot more philosophy changes within the team, and I just am straight up intrigued by how they're going to play this because they were accustomed to scoring points in the paint numbers in the 70s per game. Like having 62 points in the paint was really nothing for them. Like it was not a significance for the Thunder. If they were posting 60 some odd points in the paint, I would have been talking about it for a whole month. That would have been that serious of an accolade. They scored that like all the time. It was nothing. And I don't think this team is going to be dropping 60 or so points in the paint because they just don't have the centers. When Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Oscar De Silva are your two bigs, kind of changes things. And I will say De Silva, in addition to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, they might just be utilized like a Isaiah Roby, maybe, where they are used for pick and pop situations. I mean, both of them were shooting around 30% from distance last season, and we've seen some shades of shot creation from JRE, like I mentioned. So I don't think we're going to see much post-up game. I think we're going to see a lot of screens and just so many drives, like Giddy's going to be SGA, Maladone's going to be SGA. Somebody is going to be taking on that role of just driving in every five seconds. So we'll, we'll see. I think the first good indicator is going to be clearly the debut that's going to be tomorrow against the Detroit Pistons that's going to be a primetime game starting at 7 30 central standard time on ESPN 2 they're going to have a lot of hype surrounding that game not just because Cade Cunningham well I was going to say because our team I don't think national media gives it a damn like whenever Josh Giddy got picked 
the checklist you saw for all these top prospects, nothing. And then instead of talking about the Thunder, their situation, I think there was one graphic showing draft picks. And then it was talking about how the Golden State Warriors need to win a championship. So they don't care. They need Kate Cunningham on TV, though. And it's going to be very fun to see him going toe-to-toe against the Thunder. I'm going to be talking about specifically this matchup in tomorrow's episode so don't fret if i'm kind of passing it by right now i gotta save that for tomorrow so don't hate me but yeah there's a lot of stacked players um or really good players on that roster they got Cade, they got sadiq bay tyler cook who shut down moses brown was a beast on the iowa wolves last season you had Isaiah Stort too. He was a monster against the Thunder. Seku Dumbayao will be playing. And, I mean, you got even more. I think there's some undrafted free agents that they were picking up as well that kind of helped bolster out their lineup. But they're really stacked. Luke Garza is there, too. You cannot forget about that. And even Saban Lee, who they just signed a multi-year contract. John Petty Jr. was the undrafted free agent I was thinking of. But, yeah. It's wild, and they even have Dwayne Casey as the head coach, so that's their full roster. I straight up could not tell you. I guess Jeremy Grant's off the list, but yeah, they they have Killian Hayes and Grant Jarrett, so don't forget about him. What a legend. <laughs> Whenever he was playing for the Thunder, like all of his five games with the team, but we'll get that matchup. When you look at other guys, I know I've discussed it on here before but there's a couple other contenders and the way that this works uh schedule wise is you have four games and everyone plays a fifth game the top two players in the pool of teams goes into the championship game and the rest are just randomly matched up by seeding or something but there's no strings attached to it just one game you're done so yeah i think the thunder would be high up on that board but the Houston Rockets are nice. Jalen Green, Sangoon is on there. Kenyon Martin Jr., Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher. That's, what, five guys that are going to be very solid. Kenyon Martin Jr. showed he was a beast last year. So you got to watch out, uh, see how they perform. I don't think the Thunder have to deal with them. It would be a fun matchup to watch, though. Um, you do have the Atlanta Hawks as well, though. They have Jaden Springer and Jalen Johnson. That's really all I have them on for. I bet they probably do have some of their guys. Maybe Okongwu's on there. I haven't really delved into their roster in depth, but I will say just alone having Jaden Springer and then Jalen Johnson, kind of that one-two punch that just makes me really interested, especially with Jalen Johnson, because this was a top five, top 10 talent in the draft class that seemingly just got blown up and slid to 20 because of people maybe having issues with him so i don't know if it's a fluke or what the case was we're gonna see his skill on display though and then the philadelphia 76ers i rave about them for how they draft they are the best in my opinion the best second round drafting team in the nba right now they just keep hitting on everything they have paul reed on this roster tyrese maxi will be playing who you know, I'm not going to say he has no business to be playing there, but he dropped almost a 40-piece in his rookie season. He's great for them. But also, 
the two guys they got in the 50s and Philip Petrusev and Charles Bassey were in my top 31 on my big board. I think there were 30 and 31. I think Petrusev was 30 for me, but it doesn't really matter. Those two look like steals in my book, so I want to watch them and see how they perform. I think the big one, though, that's going to get a lot of marketing outside of the Pistons and the Rockets, of course, is the Charlotte Hornets. They have James Booknight. They have Kai Jones. They have Leangelo Ball. That's the only person that you need to care about. Leangelo Ball? Are you joking? The content they probably have had stored up in this guy is ridiculous. You think, you know, LaMelo's hype was built up for draft day? Get ready for tomorrow because everyone will be raving about Leangelo Ball. And I'm in that hype. Like I loved watching those Chino Hills, those Chino Hills game game highlights. You know what I mean? Like he was out here shooting threes, doing everything when he was in Lithuania. I've just been I've been interested, and I want to see him on a big platform once again. And on top of the two that I listed in Ball and Book Nights, I think JT Thor might be in action for them as well. And JT Thor was one of the guys I really enjoyed. I think he's gonna kill it he just has a lot of potential and his frame is really second to none at least from this specific draft class so we'll check out all of them and i'll get you guys some recaps next thing in order though is getting you guys prepped for tomorrow's matchup the debut between the thunder and the detroit pistons it is going to be an absolute fireworks show and i'll keep you up to date with that and everything else surrounding the league but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya